It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. Just go to Indeed.com slash podcast right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire. You need Indeed. On the field, in the broadcast booth, Ron Johnson is Minnesota sports. One-of-a-kind opinions, big-name guests, the teams you care about every, every, every day. It's the Ron Johnson Show, part of Locked On Sports Minnesota, and it starts now. Welcome to the Ron Johnson Show. I'm your host, Ron Johnson, and that's my producer, Sam Ekstrom. Back there making all the keys go. And on today's show, we're going to have Lavelli Neal. He's going to talk a little bit about who hurt him. What's his origin story? If you think about all the bad guys in the world, you know, the Joker, all the Marvel comics, there's an origin story. There's a reason why they're who they are. There's a reason why they want to be bad. The Penguin, you know, the Enigma. Um... You know, it, it's so much to it. And so, also, though, I got to jump into it with the Timberwolves. Let's bring Sam into the show. The Timberwolves, Sam, I'm just, I'm, I'm hurt. Like, I, I feel like Vikings fans now. I, I get it. Once you put your heart and soul into the team, they find a way to let you down. And it's not over yet. Season's not over. Series is not over. But it was a convincing performance, I guess I'd say. From the Grizzlies. And when you think about it, I've always said this. The two stars have to battle. Nobody really gave that Ja Morant energy. Ja Morant tweeted out a video or put a video on Instagram of Michael Jordan with a baseball bat talking about the Charlotte Hornets saying, you know, I respect somebody that can talk crap to me when it's 0-0. Don't talk when you're up one nothing. Don't talk when you have a lead. Now, if you're down 12 and you can still talk, I can respect that. If we're tied up, and you can start talking, I can respect that. And that was just Michael Jordan getting into his mindset to go out there and absolutely crush the Charlotte Hornets. And so John Morant saw all the haters. He even said in his post-game interview, you know, he's like, everybody picked us to be in the Western Conference Finals. And then all of a sudden we lose game one and everybody's jumping sides. Don't come back to our side now. John Morant took that personal. He took that personal. The Timberwolves, I felt like, and, I, and I'm 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 pissed off because Lavelle is going to join the show and now I have to listen to him because I was hoping they'd be up 2-0 at this point. We get Lavelle on and just make him eat crow. And now at one to one coming home. So hopefully that's going to help. It's, it's tough to deal with a person like Lavelle. Um, it is. I, I hate when, when procrastinators or not procrastinators, but antagonizers get their way. Cause I'm an antagonist too. I love to talk about my sister-in-law. She's an Alabama fan. She lives in Cincinnati. So it was double duty for me this year. Georgia won and the LA Rams beat the Cincinnati Bengals. So I got to really rub it in her face, not to her face. I just put it on Instagram and I know she follows me. My wife also videotaped my celebration and sent it to her sister just to say, he's only doing this because of you. And that's not the only reason, but that's one of them. But the Timberwolves, Sam, 
I mean, do you think they can bounce back? I think they can because they're coming home. They're going to have that energy. Um, but nobody made comments about John Morant's daughter on the court on the post game. Anthony Carlin D. Towns kissing his wife. Everybody wants to be mad at it. Ja has his daughter, and that's sweet. What, what's up with that, Sam? Yeah, yeah. I, I think everybody jumped on the Wolves celebration last week because the TNT guys did. They took their cues from Shaq and, and Barkley. Uh the Grizzlies are kind of a, a darling, I feel like. People have not really picked them apart the way they picked the Timberwolves apart, probably because they won 56 games. They earned that right. Um, I thought Ja was masterful in that game. He set the tone. Even though he only had 23 compared to 32 in game one, I felt like it was a more meaningful 23 because he absolutely had control of that game every step of the way, 23 points. 10 assists, 9 rebounds, almost a triple-double. And mm -hmm. I'll even knock Anthony Edwards last night. Anthony Edwards needs more than one assist. It, the way that he can drive to the basket, if you're not creating open looks off of the penetration dribble, that, that's not good enough. I mean, you got to do more. Um, and I felt like once the Wolves got behind, they were all looking for a 20-point shot. They were trying to make up that deficit way too quickly. They stopped attacking the rim. They started settling, not even for threes. A lot of times it was contested, bad two-point shots, which is not the identity of this team at all. Um, and I felt like Edwards didn't really wake up until the third quarter when it was too little too late. Nobody was up to the task last night. And I will say this, Ron. It is frustrating to watch a basketball game that within moments is completely dictated by the officials. You've got six guys in foul trouble in the first five minutes. That's not fun basketball to watch. Um, so that, that was a little bit maddening. Memphis did what Memphis was going to do. They used their depth. They had like four or five guys off the bench scoring double digits. That's the best version of Memphis that we're, we're probably going to see. So uh, how will the Wolves adjust in game three, Ron? That's, uh, that's the big question. And that's what I'll say. When you look at John ja Morant, you look at Anthony Edwards. Again, those are the two stars I feel like right now. Carly Towns, to me, becomes 1B. Anthony Edwards has shown he's 1A. I think for all for, for the longest, we were saying Cat's the guy, Cat's team, Anthony. Anthony Edwards has now shown the world, I am 1A. Carl is 1B. You got D'Angelo Russell as 2 or 1C. I'd say 2. Um, Beasley, another one. I, I, he has to, they have to find a way to get him going. I don't know, like you said, I think it is the driving dish. Anthony Edwards is going to create a ton of attention if he's constantly going, using his strength, to get those layups. I think Michael Jordan was one of the best at that. You know, people talk about the defense of the 80s and that it wasn't, it was hardcore, but it wasn't great. When you go back and watch the highlights, it's almost like guys were scared of Jordan. Uh, you didn't have the guy, I mean, because we hear so much about the, the hitting. That was really just the Celtics, Lakers, Pistons, and Bulls. Like those four teams really just went at it. They did not like each other. Yes, there were some fights here and there with the 76ers and Barkley, um, you know, who, who anybody he played. If you think about the the, the Seattle Supersonics uh, with, with, with Gary Payton, yep, there was some ticky-tacky pushing around stuff there. Um, but, you know, those four, in, in the Knicks, you know, I'd say Bulls, Celtics, Lakers, Knicks, uh, and Blazers, those six. You throw those six in there, that was kind of the era back then of the 80s and 90s. If you think about Bulls versus Blazers on Sega Genesis, I have it still. Um, I still break it out once a year just to prove the Sega still works. Um, but but that's that's the thing for me is when you think about 
what this team needs to be. Anthony Edwards needs to be the Michael Jordan of this team. He needs to drive. If it's there, take it. If it's not, kick it out to Paxton. Kick it out to Beasley. You know, kick it out to Kerr. Like, Beasley's waiting. You know, drop it down to, to, to Vanderbilt, your Horace Grant. You know, and I'm not saying the Timberwolves are the Bulls, but I'm just saying that's the recipe. Ja Morant does it. He drives every time and he puts it on the refs to call it. He's going to get contact. As out of control as he is, but under control, is chaotic control, I call it, he's going to get the call. And so that's what I think is the problem. The Timberwolves have to find a way to create that energy. They'll get it naturally at home. But stick around now. We got Lavelle Neal coming up next on the show. It's going to be a fun one. Now coming up on the Ron Johnson Show, the moment we've all been waiting for, the Twitter villain, I guess I'll call him, a uh, good friend of mine, Lavelle E. Neal. When you think about Lavelle E. Neal, you think about Twins Beat Writer. But all of a sudden, Lavelle gets a promotion. He's big time now. So now he just wants to be a villain. Like, I mean, the world is Batman and he is Joker. And he enjoys the tweets. I know when the Timberwolves were losing, he was back there smirking and smiling because he could not wait to, to be able to talk all week about this over-celebration. And so as we bring Lavelle into the show, Lavelle, I got to jump into it, man. Like this tweet, like you were a good guy when you were writing for the Twins, you know. But this tweet here, you know, you asked Mayor Fry if he's going to have, you know, schools closed, there's a parade. This is after the play-in game. And you not only did that, but then you doubled down when you got on the air with Dan Barrero. What's going on? Like, why why are you antagonizing the uh, Timberwolves faithful? Well, I, I wouldn't call it antagonizing. I'd just like to point <laughs> out uh, that um, the celebration after the playing game I thought was excessive. It was as if they already won the NBA title. Uh, you got players taking off their clothing and throw it into the stands. I just thought that it was overblown. And I was out watching the game at a restaurant. I had no idea that um, the NBA crew with uh, Charles Barkley and Kenny Smith were also cracking jokes about uh, the Wolves' uh, approach to winning that playoff game. So I play in game. So I would have loved to have the volume up for that just to see what they said. Um, <laughs> uh, this is not the first time I have taken shots at fans. I love the fact that fans can sit at home or sit in the bar and rip on athletes, rip on coaches and managers, rip on front offices, rip on ownerships for not getting it done. But if you throw one little thing their way, they fall apart. I, I have jumped on twin fans in the past for when they're playing at Target Field against the Yankees in the postseason, and people are calling ushers to tell people to sit down because they're standing in front of them when they should be on their feet screaming and, and getting people fired up. Uh, I've admonished fans in the past for when uh, visiting teams come in and cheer for their teams. Let's go Red Sox. Let's go Yankees. And instead of just out cheering them with a louder let's go twins, they automatically go boo. I, I would like to think that there are some sophisticated sports fans in this town that can uh, remember remain fair and balanced until it is time to rip off your clothes and run through the streets when they win a the title. And I did not see that in a playing game. And I pointed it out, and it's been a battle ever since. And that's fine. Well, game one, it, they won with, with, with convincing, you know, a convincing, convincing fashion. You know, Pat Bev stepped up, played his defensive game. He plays. He tried to rattle the other team as much as he could. Didn't do a great job of it. But Carlothy Towns, Anthony Edwards, and Beasley stepped up. Well, game two. They fell back to earth. You know, you got 20 points from one. You got 15 from Anthony uh, Carlin D. Towns. Uh, it just didn't have the same energy. Do you think 
um, they kind of shot their wild off. You know, they kind of gave everything they could in that first game. And then after that seven play in, and that was just kind of just natural tiredness of being on the road. And they'll have to come home and rest up and play a better game to, to uh, this week. Hey, Ron, I just think that um, it was unrealistic to think that the Wolves are going to go in and win two games on the road in Memphis, which, you know, people have said is kind of a hellhole to try to win games at. Um, it was disappointing how they went about it yesterday because, I, I, as Finch said in the Star Tribune, it looked like players went out individually and tried to figure things out by themselves. And you saw that. It was more like hero ball or people trying to, you know, make up a deficit, a 20-point deficit with one shot. You didn't see ball movement. You didn't see that final pass. Um, Ant Edwards, I think, had one assist. You know, that's not going to get it done. They kind of lost their way. Um, but that's going to happen in the postseason. You know, each game is its own game. Each game is its own story, you know, and it's going to follow a different script. And you got to be able to adjust to that on the fly. Um, if you're going to be able to get through some of these series. And the Wolves are finding that out. This is Anthony Edwards' first playoff game as a professional. Uh, he's learning as well. So I'm sure there are some lessons learned from yesterday. Carl uh, Anthony Towns, you know, started getting a little angry again and got in foul trouble again and kicked a player again while he's shooting a three. You know, he's got to reel it in a tad as well. So um, I, to me, it was mission accomplished for them. They won one game in Memphis. They have home court mm -hmm. advantage coming back to the crib. And now this is a good time for uh, Wolves fans to uh, show up in droves to Target Center and scream like crazy for their team. I will definitely be at uh, one of the games this weekend. Um, and, and this this is going to be a reminder that this is a pretty good basketball town. Uh, the Wolves fans have been beaten up. I have to admit that. They've been beaten up by less than mediocrity through the years and and only making the playoffs like three times in the, what, the last 20 years or something like that, or uh, maybe more than that, but just a handful of times in the last 20 years. And now this is their chance to finally uh, be proud of the team that's made a big leap this year. Yeah, when you look at, so you're a columnist now, you're big time. We're not going to just talk one sport. When you look at the Twins, and we've talked about this before, when I started this show, the Twins had not started yet. So we were excited. Carlos Correa, uh, Buxton, they look good in spring training. They go out there and all of a sudden it's bombs away. Buxton gets hurt. And now it's kind of the same old same that I've always seen the last couple of years I've been here with everybody negative. Everybody's trying to trade Correa already, 10 games in. Um, how do they turn the next 10 around and go six and four and at least try to get back to 500? Uh, what's the rest? I mean, because the Boston Red Sox game, clearly that could be a recipe for success. But how do they build on that and try to turn it around the next 10? Well, um, the one thing that's kind of been mildly surprising is that the starting pitch has been halfway decent. Uh, I think Dylan Buddy's been effective. Chris Hart Archer hasn't been, hasn't been bad, although he had a little bit of a hiccup last night in their loss to Kansas City. Uh, it's been the offense, you know, the team average, you know, hovering around the 200s and uh, not converting with runners in scoring position. So offensively, they got to get going. Um, the, the the relief core, you know, Orhey Akala is on the on the IL right now, and that's a blow because that's another power arm they could use as an option in the last three innings. And uh, I think they're they're showing how that's uh, affecting them as well. But to me, the number one thing is got to get the bats going. Um, uh, it, I, I I don't have no problems with Rocco Baldelli's approach to the lineup uh, when Buxton's healthy, and he should actually play sometime during the the series. Buxton, Correa, and Polanco is top three hitters. Those are your best hitters. So the mm -hmm. theory is, is that you want your best hitters to get the most of bats uh, every game. And by batting them one, two, and three, you will achieve that. And the rest of the guys have to chip in. Uh, Miguel Sano started out 0-19 before he got a couple of hits in, in, in Boston. 
Kansas City is his favorite place to to hit. Uh, he absolutely crushes in that stadium. So I would expect to know to be in the lineup tonight and try to get us back going and 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 use the last couple of games of the series and kind of slingshot them into this big weekend series against the Chicago White Sox because White Sox come to town this weekend and they're the favorites to win the division. But um, let's see the, the bats get going here over the next few weeks and, and see how that helps the rest of the team. And you're a Chicago guy. So where, mm-hmm. where does your loyalty lie when the White Sox show up? Are you a Cubs or a White Sox guy first, though? <laughs> I grew up on the south side of Chicago and automatically migrated to watching the White Sox. We were talking about okay. the early 70s, and the White Sox had the red – pinstripe uniforms and I thought Dick Allen was like the most uh, physically impressive man I've ever seen he had the arms of life and he would hit like these massive home runs and then a couple of times I tried to watch the Cubs games and I was like why are there weeds in the wall why are the Cubs wearing pajamas <laughs> for uniforms you know it just it just didn't do anything for me so I became a White Sox fan uh, as a kid so and Dick Allen was one of my heroes um, Harold Baines ended up being one of my heroes as well now when I started covering baseball I kind of had to tamp down that fandom because I had to be objective as a beat writer. Um, and, and, and that's fine. So um, it's been entertaining for me actually through the years as a twins beat writer, because it's been, you know, the white Sox versus the twins. A lot of, a lot of times over these last 25 years um, when both teams are going good, Torrey Hunter running over the white Sox catcher um, twins players getting booed at the all-star game in Chicago. Uh, um, just the battles they've had through the years. You know, Ron Gardenhire versus Jerry Manuel. Then Ron Gardenhire versus Ozzie Guillen. And, and, you know, now you got you got Rocco versus Tony La Russa, um, uh, a legend of uh, in managing. So um, both teams are, you know, confident. The Twins think they're going to be relevant. And this will be the first litmus test for them this year to show that, um, you know, they could be a factor in the AL Central division. And last one, we're going to have to have you back, man. This is good. So last one, though, you're a Chicago guy. So your your Bears are trash right now. And on ESPN, yeah, they, <laughs> they talked about drafting a quarterback at 20. And right now, it's Pickett from Pitt. And they're saying the Steelers, that's an easy, smart pick, especially if he's going to give you Kirk Cousins-type production. So in Mel Kuyper's mind and Lewis Riddick's mind, Kirk Cousins is a first-round draft pick. If he was in the draft this year, they would take Kirk Cousins at 20. With that said, they're also now saying that Kirk Cousins would be a higher, better draft pick option than Justin Fields. Do you agree or disagree with that? Well, I, I think Fields has got the tantalizing skills. And for this, the way the game's being played today, these dual threat quarterbacks are becoming more attractive for teams. And the fact that yeah. he can make plays with his arms and his legs puts him in a different category than someone like Kirk Cousins. I, I'm not impressed with this year's quarterback class. I think if you put Pickett and Malik Taylor in with last year's class, those dudes are not getting drafted to the third round um, uh, right, just based yeah. on their skill set and their talent ability. So, um, but you know, this is going to happen every year. Now, whoever is a quarterback are probably going to get overrated and overdrafted um, just because they are a QB and it's such a race to get a good quarterback and try to cash in on his rookie contract by adding pieces around them. Um, once they're good, I don't know what the, the bears um, attempts to, Build around Justin Fields are a little puzzling to me because they still need a, a number one receiver after letting Allen Robinson walk. They still need to yep. address the offensive line. Um, they've got holes in their defense. Um, they, they got a lot of work to do, and they don't have a first-round pick this year. So uh, I'm hurting a little bit right now because I don't see a path <laughs> to them being relevant in 2022. And um, it's going to stink now once they get to 2023. The clock's going to be ticking on Fields, 
and uh, we still don't know if the team's going to be relevant or not. So, yeah, it stinks right now to be a Bears fan. Um, watching the Vikings, I think that, you know, with the with the Packers trading Devontae Adams, I think the Packers have, uh, Vikings have gained a little bit of ground on the Packers with some of their offseason moves. I think the defense is going to be better. I like the Jordan Hicks addition. Um, I hope they get another corner, you know, in the first couple rounds of the draft. Um, yeah, I, I'm curious to see how uh, Kendrick's fares in the 3-4. I like the fact that um, – so Darius is with uh, with uh, Daniil now, performing bookend pass rushers. There's some things to like, and that offense is going to score points. So yep. I think the Vikings are going to be better. And I was at Vikings Media Access yesterday. There's a lot of spirit and a lot of fired up dudes over there over this coaching regime and and the positivity that's coming out of there. So I, I I'm putting the Vikings on double digit wins already, and I I came around with the schedules next year. I think they're heading in the right direction. Well, there you heard it from Lavelle. He has a heart. He only rags on the fans because he loves you guys. I want to thank Lavelle for joining the Ron Johnson Show. Up next, the Daily Three. That's three questions, three minutes. We'll be back after this. And now you know what time it is. It's the Daily Three. That's three questions, three minutes. Sam, take it away. Lavelle mentioned he was at Media Access yesterday for the Vikings where Kevin O'Connell spoke about how excited he is about Irv Smith's potential now Smith is still easing his way back from meniscus surgery but he's in that contract year they're still waiting for that bust out year from Herb Smith Ron I want to put you on the spot give me a prediction for Herb Smith's production in this offense touchdowns yards receptions well if you look at Tyler Higby and you look at the last three seasons of Higby he's had over 180 catches over almost 1900 yards and 13 touchdowns. In the last two seasons, he's had 10 touchdowns. So I easily can say Irv Smith can get five touchdowns. Why? Because Kevin O'Connell was a part of that offense the last two years. He got there in 2020. You look at the last two years of what Kevin O'Connell has done with Sean McVay, of course, Sean McVay's offense, Kevin O'Connell helping him, but what they've gotten out of Tyler Higby. That's 10 touchdowns in two years. I think Irv can do that, if not more. Why? Because Irv is faster. Now we have to see what he comes off his knee, but he's faster. He's a better vertical threat. He's a better deep over threat. Higby's a little bit bigger, of course. So Higby gives you more of a vertical seam power guy that can take a hit from a safety where Irv's going to be your bender. And what a bender is just for the novice, if the hole is open, meaning two high safeties and there's a hole in the middle, he's going to bend it in across the middle, making it an easy throw for Kirk over the linebacker's head if it's not Tampa two. If it is single high safety, that means the middle of the field is closed. That means Irv's going to stay on the seam and then fade back. Now that puts the pressure on those two outs, that outside corner. If he fluffs in on Irv, you drop it over his head to Justin Jefferson. But we know Justin Jefferson is never going to get overlooked. So that's where Irv Smith Jr. comes into play. I think Irv can be a 60 catch, 600 yard, five touchdown tight end. I think that's his number there. I think that, I mean, let, let's book it. We'll, we'll come back to this midway through the season and see if Irv's close. But I think that's what Irv can get. I, I like the movement of the tight ends. You watch Higby line up on one side, shift over to the left. Now, Tyler Conklin was the shift guy. And so Irv would be the one-by-one -one tight end sitting on his hip. So now, who do they get to be your Conklin? Now, again, Kyle Rudolph, could he come back for cheap? Is that worth it? Maybe. I mean, he said he has some left in the tank. Um, you, you look at the draft. Is there a tight end in the draft? Because tight ends haven't gotten a lot of talk in the draft. That's my goal this weekend because uh, next week I'm doing the draft show for the Vikings. So my goal this weekend is to really dive into the tight end because secretly the Vikings need another tight end. I think Irv is your TE1, but they're going to need a TE2. 
they did bring a guy in, but you always want to bring another guy in just in case, like a, a second or third round pick. You never know with these tight ends. So in my opinion, 60, 605 touchdowns, that's Irv Smith. And that's almost exactly what Tyler Conklin did last year. Conklin was 61 catches, 593. I think Ooh. Irv, if healthy, is even more talented than Conklin. I'm going to go 70 and 700. Ah, uh, I'm just saying that's the basement for him. <laughs> he's got to get that. Yeah, no, no, you're right. And if they don't bring in another tight end, well, he's going to get all of those targets if they don't have a real Correct. tight end too. A uh, hockey question for you. So the Wild uh, win another one last night in Montreal, 2 nothing, mm -hmm. And they've got a goaltending conundrum. Now, it's a good problem to have because Cam Talbot and Marc-Andre Fleury just keep going back and forth. They're, they're both winning games. In fact, here are their stats, Ron. Since the Wild traded for Fleury, Fleury mm -hmm. is 6-1, and one, and his save percentage is 92.1. In that same time, Talbot, 6-0-3, Say percentage is 92.7. So they are basically even since Fleury got here. Uh, how is this team going to decide who their playoff goalie is going to be? So this is the thing. I, I'm, I always bring it back to the Mighty Ducks. And you remember they had the cat and then they had the big dude. You know, the cat-like reflexes girl, and then they had the big dude. And it was, you know, it was up to, uh, and I always get the uh, best, uh, Emilio Estevez, and what's the other one? I, I get them confused. I think it was Emilio was in that one, um, if I'm not mistaken. If I'm wrong, sorry. Um, but it was an Estevez brother, and one of them changed his name. But I, I'm going to go with it's the coach's decision. I think if both are hot, you pick. Now, Flurry has the, like, the star power, I guess I'd say, because they bought him in and everybody was shocked. Like, wait, what? We already have a goalkeeper and you're bringing in another one? You're bringing another goalie in? Um, and they did. They brought another goaltender in and it's helped. Uh, one, if one's not going, you can bring another one in. And that's where, you know, I think in the Mighty Ducks, you have that sentimental where, you know, the girl, he tells the girl, nope. You know, she's like, you got us here. And he's like, nope, you go in, you do this, you stop him. He's going to go glove side because he's flashy, blah, blah. Favorite part of the movie. Um, I think that's what it comes down to. It comes down to no ego. It comes down to nobody is bigger than the team. Uh, I think they both want to help the team out and win. Um, <clears throat> Talbot's been here. So technically, I would say go with Talbot because he's been here. He was the guy here before you bought in Flurry. Uh, but at the same time, you bring guys in for a reason. You got them for a reason. There's no reason to, to sit them in the playoffs if you bought them in for this reason because he has experience. And so... I'm torn. Like, do you go? I mean, it's the, it's the Mighty Ducks. Do you go with the duck that's been there, or do you go with the new girl? Um, I, I, I'm gonna say go with Flurry just off of top of the head because he has the cool emoji. Everybody puts up the flower now. I figured that one out on Twitter uh, when they're talking about Flurry making a stop or doing something. Uh, you know, they put the flower up, so I think that's cool. But yeah, I, I definitely think um, it's gonna come down to the coach's decision. Like you said, they're even. There's no real deciding factor besides. I'm going to sit here and pray about this. And as a coach's job, it's a job to figure it out. And I do think they need to pick a guy. Like, I, I don't think you can go into the playoffs with goaltender by committee because mm -hmm. then it's in the goalie's head. If I give up three goals today, am I going to get yanked in game two? True. I think you need yeah. someone, someone to be able to go in there knowing that they have the freedom to make a couple mistakes. That's going to happen in a hockey game but that they have the confidence of the coaching staff. And if they do need to get pulled, you've got a great option. But I think you need to, to make a commitment at some point, and they're down to the final six games. Um, this is interesting. So the minor leagues have instituted a pitch clock 
in minor league mm-hmm. baseball. And the data shows that 20 minutes is getting shaved off every game because of that pitch clock. With pace of play being such a problem in Major League Baseball, Ron, do the majors need to adopt the pitch clock next year? Yes. You look at back in 2001, 2002, 2003, the average game time was about two hours and 45 minutes. Now, they're, like last year, it was three hours and 15, like 11 to 15 minutes. That's a lot of time. It's like, it doesn't sound like a lot, but then we do the actual math. Like at first I was like, oh, that's nothing. That's like 30 minutes. I'm like, wait, that's 30 minutes, like 30 minutes. That's a lot of time of like, whatever it is, getting your rosin, getting, getting to the mound, talking to the ump, talking to the catcher, getting your gum, right. You know, touching the glue in your hat, getting the sticky from your belt buckle, whatever they were doing. Because uh, now pitchers are getting checked. If they throw a no-hitter or they throw a great game, as they come off, umpires want to check. Let me see your glove. Let me see under your glove. Let me see your wrist. Let me see, you know, let me check the hat. Let me pull up your shirt, you know. I, I, I know one pitcher made the joke, like, I'm just going to get naked as I walk off the field if I know the umps want to check me, um, so, <laughs> which I would love to see. Uh, because that would just be TV gold. Like, a, a, a pitcher stripping completely down and handing all his clothes to the ump and walking off, like, you know, with his hands out like Antonio Brown going to the locker room, like that would be awesome. Um, so that that's where I see like, you know, and also the umps, like they have to stop making it about them. If there's a call, just go to the monitor. Like don't, don't get into this like whole back and forth thing. But yeah, I think they need to bring the pitch clock back. Look how, how much better the NBA got when free throws changed and players knew they were on the clock. You know, teams were even, uh, fans are even counting down some guys that they know take a long time at the line. And so I think that's the key, too. You, you can't let guys sit there, kiss their kids, flip the ball, dribble twice, put it behind their back, look over at the cheerleader, blow her a kiss, and then shoot a free throw. Now it's like you got to get it. Like Clay Thompson has his deal. Boom, get into it. He's quick. I think pitchers need to. Now, is that hard? Yeah, because some pitchers have a thing. But look at the Texas Longhorns. That idiot pitcher puts his head down because he's trying to get his mind right. Yes, I get it. There's nothing wrong with your mind right. But you're going through your emotions as if, there's not people on the base. And the guy steals home for Texas Tech. So that's another thing. Like, get out of that, like, get out of that ritual. Speed it up. And if the game goes to two hours and 30 minutes, I think you can get some casuals that are willing to sit there. But that three hours, I mean, unless it's Batman, I don't want it. I mean, I've covered plenty of Twins games over the years. And routinely, the clock hits about 10 o'clock, and you start to see people in the 7th and 8th inning. Even if it's a good game, they start filing out because it's too yeah. long. And I think the pitch clock, at least it creates the flow where it feels like the game is constantly moving at a steady pace. You don't have pitchers that are slow working, taking up all that time. Bonus question, Ron. One more Vikings question. Kevin O'Connell yesterday said he liked what he saw from last year's third-round pick, Kellen Mond. So my question for you is, will Kellen Mond ever start a game as a Minnesota Viking? Uh, no. I- I'm going to say no right now. Um, unless they have clinched the NFC North and they have locked in, like they can't go higher than a two-seed or something, or three-seed, um, maybe Kellen Mond starts, but that's Sean Mannion. Sean Mannion probably starts that game. Uh, you probably don't, though, because – Kevin O'Connell believes in in momentum. I mean, unless he's if he's Sean McVay, he believes in momentum. He believes in going into the playoffs hot. So I just don't see a situation unless you know. And I'm never going to throw that out there. But unless everybody gets hurt, I don't see Kellen Mond starting. Um, Kellen Mond looked robotic. I guess I'd say he looked stiff. 
he looks like his his uh chest protector or his rib cage is too big for him um whereas he should just have a back flap like it, it's you're not getting hit that hard um i mean yes you are but it's not like you don't need that whole deal um and so I, I just feel like he has to loosen up. Like he reminds me of a stiffer Colin Kaepernick. Like he's really stiff, robotic. Uh, I just don't see it. Like Kevin O'Connell spoke well of him because he had to scout him. Um, but at the end of the day, like I, I just, I, I feel like they tried. It didn't work. They wanted Justin Fields. They couldn't get up there. Um, so not say they settled, but they settled for a third round pick that they hope was going to be good. He looked really good in college, but I feel like too, his coach made him a little bit robotic in his arm motion and some of his throwing. Um, no, I don't see him. I don't see him starting for the Vikings. Yeah. It's a good cautionary tale that just because someone has athleticism doesn't mean they're Mahomes. You got to have the other tools as well above the, the shoulders. And I don't know if he's there yet. Yeah. Well, that'll do it for the Ron Johnson Show. I'm your host, Ron Johnson. That's Sam Ekstrom on the ones and twos. I want to thank you for joining us today. Make sure you subscribe. Share it with your friends on YouTube. Pass it along on Twitter and Instagram. Do whatever you got to do. But also, you can subscribe and listen anywhere, wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Ron Johnson, and thank you. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.